one's working. And this one's working. That's good. If you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, and we started looking last week at, at a lesson, lesson entitled, Results of Gospel-Centered Ministry. What happens when the gospel is preached? And we talked about the fact that anytime the gospel message is preached, the true gospel message, two things happen. Uh, when we become focused on gospel-centered ministry, we can count on two things. We can count on some folks being blessed, and we can count on opposition. Those two things will happen. And we said last week that those who humble themselves will be blessed. When we humble ourselves before God, God then can bless us. And we talked about in the, in, from verses 12 to 16 of Acts chapter 5 that those that humbled themselves got saved, they got healed, and they got set free. And we pointed out that as Christian people, that's what happens to us when we come to the cross. Jesus Christ saves us, he heals us, and he sets us free. And we asked the question, how do we approach Jesus? We said that there's no such thing as middle-class Christians. And, and I don't mean that financially. What I'm talking about either, we give everything to Jesus. We are spiritually bankrupt, or we can't come to Jesus. We can't come to Jesus halfway. Uh, we are spiritually bankrupt. We, we give it uh, to him. We also talked about that the sin and the sickness and the demon possession that uh, the apostles healed these folks from were all results of sin and Satan. And we talked about the fact that the apostles healed these people in the name and under the authority of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And we said that there is nothing that the devil can throw at this world that is stronger than the power of Jesus. And we need to understand that and realize that. We, today we, we hear a message of fear. There's a lot of uncertainty that's happening in our world, uh, politically, militarily, uh, medically, a lot of division, a lot of fights, a lot of arguments, and, and we say, oh, this is horrible, this is awful. Can I tell you that there's nothing happening today that is stronger than the power of Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ can heal it. Jesus Christ can fix it. Jesus Christ can provide the answer if we will humble ourselves and let him do it. And then we pointed out at the very end that the early church didn't follow a business strategy. You know, if I were going to build an organization... I would try to reach those, the doctors, the lawyers, the teachers, the, the wealthy folks who have contacts so we could get some influential people on the ground floor. Jesus didn't do that. He, when he called his apostles, he called fishermen, and he called a zealot, a rebel. He called an IRS man, a tax collector, uh, just different things, different background of just everyday people that he brought together. And those everyday people, y'all, Turn the world upside down through the gospel message, which was the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So, when a gospel message is preached, and when we focus on gospel-centered ministry here at Old New Hope, 
we can understand that there's going to be some people who are blessed. The gospel blesses those who humble themselves. But there are also going to be some people who get mad. The gospel blesses the humble. The gospel enrages the proud. Let's read beginning at verse 17 of Acts 5. So we find verses 12 through 16. The humble coming to the Lord, getting saved, getting healed, getting the demon uh, possession, a demon possessed folks being set free. But there's another group. In verse 17, then the high priest rose up and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation and they laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. Now, anytime the gospel is preached, there are folks who humble themselves and obey, right? We may not see the results of that immediately, but I'm convinced even though there may not be any visible decisions for Christ, I believe every time the gospel is preached, people that humble themselves are blessed, and the Holy Spirit works on them. But there are also going to be some people who reject the gospel. And I want to ask this question to you. Why is it that people oppose the gospel? Why is it that people reject the gospel? Why is it that some people just, first of all, refuse to bow down to Jesus as Savior and Lord, and then some even openly oppose and go into persecution and opposition of God's word? And I'm convinced it's one word. Just like the gospel blesses those who are humble, those who resist the gospel are proud. Their pride keeps them from trusting Jesus and accepting the gospel and getting a blessing. They're the ones that miss the blessing, right? But they miss it because of their pride. In this case, the religious leaders were jealous of the attention that the apostles were getting, and so they tried to put a stop to it. But I think there's four different kinds of pride that keep people from coming to the Lord. And, and maybe this evening or this morning, if, if you're not a Christian or if you know and you're praying for somebody that's not a Christian, there's one of, I think, maybe more than one, but at least four kinds of pride that's working on these individuals. Number one, there's intellectual pride. There are people that say that you believe that Jesus was God and he came to earth as a human and he was born, but not only born, he was, his mother was a virgin and he lived 30 years and he was crucified and he paid the price of sin for me and you and everybody and he was in the tomb for three days. Oh, and three days later, he was resurrected. But he wasn't finished. He lived another 40 years, uh, forty days on earth after his resurrection. And then he ascended back into heaven. The apostles watched him go back into heaven. And he's coming back to destroy the world. And But he's, before it's totally destroyed, he's going to rule on it for a thousand years. And then there's going to be a final battle. And then he's going to reign over all eternity. There's a lot of folks that think that's foolish, y'all. 
You know, they'll tell us, well, science teaches this and facts teach this. And who ever heard of somebody being born of a virgin? Or who ever heard of somebody raising from the dead? I've got a question. Who ever heard of let there be light? And there was light. Who ever heard of a God creating out of nothing? Everything. <laughs> Y'all... If you believe Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If you believe that's true, the rest of it's a piece of cake, amen? amen. But there are some folks intellectually, let their, they let their learning get in their way, and so they reject the gospel, and some outright oppose the gospel. Other people have social pride. You're, you're not one of those Christians, are you? You're not one of those Bible thumpers, are you? You're not one of those Jesus freaks, are you? You know what? I am. Amen? Amen. But some folks don't want to be called that. And so they reject the gospel and they make fun of those of us who, who trust Jesus as our Savior. Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians that to those that are perishing, the cross is foolishness. But to those of us who are being saved, Y'all, that's my anchor. The death, the burial, and resurrection is my anchor. If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, I'm in trouble. Because that means none of it's true. But social pride. Sometimes it's family pride. You know, our brothers and sisters, especially over in Muslim countries, when they come to faith in Jesus Christ, their families, at the very least, may disown them. At the very most, they may kill them. Or have them killed. Well, you're not going to be my family and be one of those Christians. So maybe it's a family pride. Or maybe it's what I call individual pride. We get I-oriented. I, I, I. I'm a pretty good guy. I do good things. I'm better than so-and-so and he goes to church down there. Or they may take the flip side and say, I can't live it, so I'm not going to become a Christian. I know I can't live perfectly, so I'm not going to try it. I hear that a lot in prison. But you know what? That's pride. Because what I tell folks is you can't do it. But when we say I, that puts the focus on me, right? And y'all, I'm not good enough. <laughs> I'm not smart enough. I'm not wise enough. But you know what? I was smart enough and broken enough to humble myself in front of my Savior and say, Lord, I can't save myself. Please save me. Pride keeps folks from trusting Jesus. Because of their pride, Notice what's said in verse 17. Because of their pride, it says they were filled with indignation. They weren't just a little peeved. They were mad. You husbands, y'all all know the difference when your wife is a little peeved and when your wife is mad, right? You know, we, we, we've, all, we've all been there, right? And if you haven't been there, you remember when your parents were a little miffed 
or your parents were mad. They give you the look. Well, these guys were mad. They had already told Peter and John to not preach in Jesus' name anymore. These guys were becoming frustrated. They thought that with the crucifixion of Jesus, this Jesus stuff would stop. But instead, the opposite happened. There's nearly 10,000 people that are part of this group called The Way. This group is turning the world upside down. This group in Jerusalem. People are coming to faith in Jesus Christ left and right. And these guys are seeing their way of life taken away. Because these apostles are teaching, if you want to come to the Father, the only way to get there is through Jesus Christ. A, the Jesus Christ that the, our religious leaders crucified and killed. And they realize they're losing their position. They're losing their prestige. They're losing their clout. And so they grabbed the apostles. In chapter 4, it was Peter and John, remember. Now they arrest all the apostles. The persecution is ramping up. The persecution is escalating. But you know what? This reminds, their frustration, the frustration of the leaders, reminds me a lot of the frustration Paul must have felt. Remember when we go over a few chapters in Acts and Saul becomes a great persecutor of Jesus and of the church and he gets a basically a warrant to go to the city of Damascus and find the Christians that are there and arrest them and, and bring them back to Jerusalem for trial. He wants to see them all put to death, actually, is what he wanted. He hated the church. He hated Christianity. He hated this guy Jesus. But a funny thing happened on the way to Damascus. Hank Williams may have saw, sang the song, I Saw the Light. Paul, Saul saw the light, right? And he hears a voice that says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul says, who are you, Lord? Saul knew who it was. Saul's worst dreams are becoming a nightmare. All this stuff he's been persecuting is true. He's finding out. And Jesus asks Saul on the road to Damascus an interesting question. He says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Don't you find it hard to kick against the pricks or the goads? In other words, he's saying, isn't it hard to keep running your head into a brick wall? Have you ever done something that was just an exercise in frustration? And for me, it's any time I've got to do something that's really small and my fingertips don't have a lot of flexibility and coordination. So if I know I've got to turn something little bitty, I might as well just try to run through the wall. I'm going to have just about as much work, as much luck. Well, that's, the, that's what Saul was. He said, Jesus says, Saul, you're not going to win. Saul, you might as well keep running through brick walls. Don't you find it harder? Run into that brick wall? Well, these religious leaders back in Acts 5, they're feeling that same frustration. They thought they had Jesus at the crucifixion. They thought they had stopped it. Lo and behold, he resurrects. And the world gets turned upside down. Then they arrest Peter and John and told them not to preach in the name anymore. They thought they had stopped it. 
But instead of stopping it, it's exploding. It's going everywhere. And so these leaders grab the apostles and arrest them. Then there's an interesting word in verse 19. But, you see, the council put them in jail. But, remember how we talked about that phrase, but God? It's not necessarily but God's here. It's but at night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. Could you imagine the apostles? Put yourself in, in their shoes. You've been thrown in the hole. You're in solitary confinement. There you are. You think, well, now what's going to happen? Are they going to kill us? Well, what are they going to do? And all of a sudden, an angel, in the middle of the night, an angel comes and opens the door. And then look what the angel says. The angel says in verse uh, 19, or 20 rather, go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of life. There they are in jail, hopeless, helpless. An angel opens the door and says, you guys go back to business. You go back to, to the temple, and you go back and tell everybody the wonderful words of life. What's that wonderful words of life, the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus? You get back and doing what you're doing. Don't you imagine when they, if I'd have been one of the apostles, I'd be like, you know, straightening myself up, walking a little taller. Angel got me out of jail. You might play Monopoly and have it get out of free. I got a better, I keep an angel open. And they went back and they went back to teaching the message. They went back to preaching and doing what it is that God called them to do. But the story doesn't stop there. Verse 21. Or in the middle of verse 21, but, there's that word but again. The high priest and those who were with him came and called the council together with all the elders and children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. So, the, here, here get, get the layout here. The council arrests them. But, an angel of the Lord opens the door and tells them to go back and preach the gospel. Go back to the temple and keep doing what you're doing. But the next morning, the council calls itself together and says, go get the prisoners. Go get them. And I love in verse 22, but, this is a big but here. But when the officers came and did not find them in prison, they returned and reported. They basically said, we have some good news and we have some bad news. Verse 23, Indeed, we found the prison shut securely and the guards standing outside before the door. The good news is, the prison's still there. The doors were locked. Hey, God, the bars work. The guards were there. Nobody was derelict of duty. They're all where they're supposed to be. The bad news is, there's nobody there. The bad news is, everybody's gone. The bad news is we don't have any prisoners to bring you. Verse 24, Now when the high priest, the captain of the temple, and the chief priests heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. You know, don't you bet they did? It's funny, it doesn't say they were enraged. It said they, they just 
They're going, huh. You know, sometimes that's all you can do. Have you ever had the Lord work in your life? That's all you can just say is, huh. That's wonder what's going to happen next. Wonder what's going to happen now. Verse 25, so one came and told them, saying, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain went with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should be stoned. Keep that phrase in mind. The religious leaders and the religious guards, they are more afraid of the people than they are God. They were. This tells you that the people were on the apostles' side, right? The, the people were glorifying God. The people are saying, man, this is great. All these crippled people are being healed. Demon-possessed people are being set free. People's sins are being forgiven. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Well, the guards come. Guys, if, if you don't mind, I work at Turney Center, and I have yet to see a guard tell an inmate to do anything. If you don't mind, would you do this? They're pretty much like, you know, you're going to go do... They said, if you don't mind, would you come with us without creating too big of a stir? And so the apostles do. And the apostles come back before the crowd. Verse 27, and when they brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest said to them, saying... Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. In other words, not only are you talking about Jesus and a resurrected Jesus, you're saying we killed him. You're saying his blood is on our hands. Keep your finger right here and turn back to Matthew chapter 27. A curious thing happens at the trial of Jesus. Matthew 27. Verse 22, beginning for context. Matthew 27, 22. Pilate said to them, What then shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said to him, Let him be crucified. Then the governor said, Why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took, a, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. Look at verse 25. And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and our children. Isn't that interesting? <coughs> They said, this is Caiaphas and the religious leaders and the people saying, his blood's on us, and not only on us, on our children. Then you go back to Acts, and the religious leaders say, you're trying to say, put this man's blood on us. They had already put Jesus' blood on themselves, right? So just wanted to make sure we have the facts straight. Peter and James and John and the apostles weren't accusing them of anything they hadn't already accepted the blame for. They already said his blood's on us. And then when we look at verse 29, 
Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than man. Remember a minute ago I said the religious leaders and the religious guards were more afraid of the people than they were of God? Paul says we are more afraid of God than we are of you. Remember how we talked about what does it take to have a bold witness? And we said it takes a fear of the Lord. We need to fear the Lord more than we fear what anybody can do to us. We're going to obey God. If it's you or if it's God, God wins every time. The God of our fathers, verse 30, raised up Jesus whom you murdered by hanging him on a tree. He isn't a... Peter isn't a bit afraid, is he? You murdered him. Now a little while ago, Peter was even denying he knew Jesus. Now he's telling these same people that killed Jesus, you killed him. What's happened to Paul? He's got the Holy Spirit. He's got a fear of the Lord in him. He's preaching boldly. He said, you murdered in verse 31. God has exalted him to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgive sins. And we are his witnesses to whom these things, and so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Peter says, we saw it. We are witnesses. And not only us, the Holy Spirit bears witness to him. And oh, by the way, anybody that comes to faith in Jesus has this Holy Spirit. Well, you would think that they would humble themselves and be blessed by the gospel, right? Look what happens. Verse 33, when they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill him. They were ready to kill him now, but it takes some common sense advice from a very well-respected Jewish rabbi to calm them down. Then one in the council stood up, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in respect by all the people, and he commanded them to put the apostles outside for a little while. Gamaliel was Paul's teacher, Saul's teacher. Gamaliel, even rabbis today tell us that Gamaliel is one of the most respected Jewish rabbis that's ever lived. Basically, Gamaliel tells them, can you put these guys outside for a little while? He says, I need to talk to you. And they respect him well enough to do that. And Gamaliel says to them, verse 35, Men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what you intend to do regarding these men. If Gamaliel had lived in 21, Gamaliel, or 2021, Gamaliel would have told these folks, y'all need to slow your roll. Right? Y'all need to slow down a minute and think about what you're doing. You need to take heed. Slow down a little bit and realize what it is you are plotting to do. Verse 36, for some time ago, Thutius rose up, claiming to be somebody. A number of men, about 400, joined him. He was slain, and all who obeyed him were scattered and came to nothing. After this man, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census and drew away many people after him. He also perished, and all who obeyed him were dispersed. Gamaliel says, y'all need to slow your roll. He said, remember Thutis, that guy that started a rebellion? He ended up getting killed and all the people scattered. And then back during the census, that would have been the time Jesus was born. Remember when Augustus made the census? That's why Joseph and Mary ended up in Bethlehem. During that time, another guy named Judas, he rebelled. 
and he perished. And all who followed him came to nothing. Verse 38, And now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if it's of God, you cannot overthrow it lest you even be found to fight against God. He says, slow your roll. He said, remember, just in very recent history here, there's a couple of guys who tried to start a rebellion against everything and change everything, and those came to nothing. He says, let these guys alone. If this movement is of men, it'll blow itself out. It'll, it'll, it'll take care of itself. If it's of God, he said, you've lost the battle already. You don't want to be found fighting against God. Isn't that good common sense? Just let it see what happens. If it's man-made, it'll fall apart. If it's God-founded, there's nothing you can do to stop it. Remember Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It doesn't say may not. It says will not. If it's of God, it's going to keep going. If it's of man, and we say that about church work too. If we at Old New Hope are doing a ministry that God wants us to do, it's going to flourish and, and God's going to bless it. And he's going to equip us with what we need to equip it. If it's our own doings, the ministry may not be successful. We may go to another route. That, that, that's a good question to ask. Anytime the church is wanting to do a ministry or work, is this of God or is it of man? When we're trying to make a decision in our life, isn't that good advice? Is this God or... Is this my own heart? A lot of times we trust our own heart. Scripture tells us our hearts are above all things deceitful. We will fool ourselves. Have you ever talked yourself into doing something you really know in the back of your head you know you ought not do? That's what our hearts will do. So the people, they think that's a great idea. They're in verse 40. They agreed with him. And when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. So, the gospel blesses those who humble themselves. The gospel enrages those who are proud. And in the last two verses here, the gospel encourages those who are doing the ministry. So they, the apostles, departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. What's happened here? The apostles are put in prison. An angel lets them out and says, you just go preach the word. They go back and preach the word. The council calls them in front of them and says, you all need to stop this. Or we're going to kill you. Gamaliel tells them, hang on a second. Let's see if this is of men or if this was of God. They call the apostles back in and says, you all quit preaching. And they beat them. You notice how the persecution is escalating? It started with Peter and John in chapter 4. Chapter 5, it's the apostles are in prison. And now the apostles, the apostles are beaten. Chapter 6 and 7, we're going to get the first Christian is killed. The pers persecution is escalating here. 
But notice it doesn't say in verse 20, so they departed them and they went to their holes and they hid and they didn't come out until the trouble stopped. It says they rejoiced that they could suffer in the name of Jesus. It didn't weaken them. The persecution made them stronger. Remember how we said last week in our Sunday school class that we can have joy in spite of persecution? Did you know that if we're being persecuted in the name of Jesus, that we can have joy because of the persecution? Remember what Jesus said, blessed are you when men persecute you? Now Peter reminds us, that let's make sure we're being persecuted for the name of Jesus and not for something we've done. You know, sometimes I do something stupid and people around me say, you know, why did you do that? That was crazy. Well, I'm getting persecuted. That's because of something I did. If we're getting persecuted, let's get persecuted for something Jesus said, right? Let's get persecuted for his will. Let's rejoice for that. And then, not only did it make them not stop teaching, verse 42, daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Not only were they just coming for weekly services at the temple, every day they went out teaching and preaching. Publicly at the temple, they went knocking on doors, house to house, teaching about Jesus, counting themselves worthy. Once again, the religious leaders thought they had stopped everything, but all they did is Give folks boldness and courage. Can I remind us here today that persecution and hard times are coming. They are here and a, a lot of our brothers and sisters this morning are having to meet secretly because if they found out they were worshiping the Lord, they'd be killed. Uh, there are people that their families kill them when they trust Jesus. Even in this country, persecution and uh, opposition to God's word and the things of God is ramping up. Can I tell you as a pastor that it's coming? I wouldn't be doing you a favor if I said, well, if you just trust Jesus, everything will be all right and everybody will stay safe. That's not the message of the gospel. If you look through the book of Acts, the apostles make a lot of prayers. They never pray for their safety and comfort. Ever. They pray for boldness. They pray to be strong in spite of opposition. Now, I don't know what our persecution is going to look like. It may be out and out persecution. It may be illness. It may be relationship problems. I don't know what, but can I tell you, it's coming. And when it does, can we rejoice and count ourselves worthy? The name Christian means Christ-like. Wasn't our Savior persecuted? We need to rejoice. And I'm not saying it's easy. But I'm saying it's what we are called to do. Amen? Amen. Right. We're going to do